This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Easter to you. And as you're sitting down, if you would open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that's what we're going to look at today. 1 Corinthians 15, let me add my voice to Rob's voice in welcoming you uh, and saying Happy Easter. It's great to be together today with you. Uh, my name is uh, Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's uh, my privilege and responsibility this morning to open up the Bible and to read some things about the resurrection and to talk about why this day is so meaningful and uh, so, uh, so, special, so special for us. Can you guys see me okay? I didn't know if I was camouflaged with the floor and my tie <laughs> together. And so, can you see me okay back in the back? Okay. Yeah, the church decorating committee and my fashion consulting uh, committee got together this year and decided to uh, match uh, the drapery here with my tie. So, if at any point it becomes too much for you, uh, just... Just leave. So there. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, let's uh, let's pray, and then uh, we will we'll jump in together in the text. God, thank you for what this day means to us. Thank you for what we have been singing and what we have been reading from your Word. That you are alive, uh, Jesus. You have been raised from the dead. You are victorious and that you rule and you reign. How grateful we are for what you've done for us in your cross, your burial, and your resurrection, and how grateful we are for your love for us here today. God, this this day um, represents your profound love and care for us, that you would endure what you endured, and that you would win the victory and then confer the victory on us, that we would receive your victory. And so we thank you for that today. I pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts that we would hear from your word. So as we read your word, we pray that you would speak to us powerfully and clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you, uh, if you were aware of this, if you picked this up in the songs this morning, but in a number of the songs, we sang about the theme of victory. Uh, the word victory appeared in a lot, of the, a lot of the different verses that we sang, and today that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to read a scripture in a minute that talks about victory, and uh, I want to spend the time this morning considering the theme of victory. Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word victory. Think for a minute. What do you think of when you hear victory? Uh, maybe you think of something like this image here of victory, and you see the guy Winning, He's, he represents Richmond, whoever that is, uh, and his arms are up celebrating. Some of you have seen, I've never seen that. I've only seen the back of the guy's head when I was way back uh, on the trail, you know, half a mile back. But this is what it looks like from the front when you get to the finish line and no one's there, or so I'm told. So there he is just celebrating, yes, the victory. I'm going to show you a number of images, and you're going to see how oftentimes the victory are arms extended in victory. So maybe you think of that kind of race, or maybe this kind of race, uh, another kind of race which represents victory. Uh, Some of us in the room who uh, know and uh, care about NASCAR might see that image. Whenever there's a race run at the end, you know, there's a big celebration, 
and sadly, there's often a fist fight out in the grass as well because if somebody bumped another or cut them off, there's a victory celebration and a beating as well. But so this is a celebration, arms up in the air, he won the race, he's celebrating. Or maybe you think of victory as a team victory. What's the greatest, one of the greatest victories would be a Super Bowl victory. Here we see winning the Super Bowl, holding, this is often a victory pose, right? Hoisting the trophy up, we won, as everyone screams, the moment of victory uh, celebration. Or maybe it's winning a gold medal. And uh, in in a team event where you say, now we're not just the best in the U.S., like winning the Super Bowl. Now we're the best in the world. Fist pump. We're the best in the world. I'm retiring. No, I'm not. I'm back. Yes, we're going to win again. So there it is. Just celebrating. We won the gold medal, which is the peak, the medal around your neck. Hear your national anthem. That is like the peak of world victory and dominance in your sport. So sometimes we think in that way. Or maybe you think about victory and you think about the battlefield like this, where you see, when I think of victory, I think of, you know, not a trophy being hoisted, but the flag being raised to demonstrate uh, military, a military victory. So that's a way we talk about the battlefield. Or maybe you think of victory in a political race. There's a politician wins. There's our our president winning uh, the presidential election and the you know, the the confetti comes down, and then what does he deliver? He delivers a victory speech, uh, you know, thanking the opponent for a worthy race, and then, um, you know, thanking supporters, that kind of thing, but a victory speech. Or maybe you think not about political or battle or sports, but like personal victory and conquering a mountain, that sort of thing. So here's a guy who has conquered the mountain. His hand is up, and not only his hand, his thumb is up, uh, and he is saying, I did it. I conquered this great barrier. And so there's a personal victory that one celebrates at a moment like that. Well, in Scripture, we find that Jesus Christ is the greatest victor in all of human history because he wins the greatest victory in human history. And the victory of Jesus is announced and is celebrated and is commemorated um, in this day, his victory coming out of the grave in the resurrection. That is the great victory that Jesus, that Jesus wins. Yet his victory is different than every other victory we just looked at. The kid with his arms up in the air at Richmond who won that race, hey, he's not going to win all the races. He's going to graduate, and next year somebody else is going to win that race. It was a short-lived victory. Or the military victory, as great as that was, have we been in a battle since then? Did that bring world peace eternally? No. It was a victory, but now we've had other battles. A presidential victory, you can win two terms, but then you're gone, and somebody else will be leading the country. And even a personal victory, that dude had to go back down the mountain, okay? He made it up there. Great that you got your picture. And actually, it wasn't just for your family. A whole church who doesn't even know you looked at you on Easter Sunday of all times and used you as an illustration. But that, that guy had to go back down the mountain. He didn't live in the victory up there all the time. He came back down. But the victory of Jesus that we're going to look at in this passage today, it is eternal. It is a victory that makes a difference tomorrow, a year from now, a thousand years from now, a million years from now. 
It is an eternal victory. And in every victory, we know that there is a defeat for an opponent. Part of a victory is that there's a defeat for the opponent. So the runner, there's a whole bunch of other people, they lost. Um, You know, in the military victory, some country or uh, united countries together win a coalition of countries and some lose. And in a presidential race, someone won and someone lost. Well, in Jesus' victory in the resurrection, there is a loser as well, an opponent that is defeated. And we're going to look at that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to begin with the second-to-last verse, and then we're going to back up. Here's the second-to-last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. We read this earlier in our singing time. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's done prior to that is he has described various ways that the resurrection of Jesus provides victory. And here's the first victory. The resurrection of Jesus declares victory over sin. The defeat of our great enemy, sin. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So here's what he's saying. He's announcing in verse 2, it says, I want to remind you, I'm sorry, uh, this is verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So Paul's writing to this church and he's saying, I want to tell you the gospel again. And then he's going to tell it to us. Now, this is really important. Uh, If you are new to Christianity or you're investigating, not sure what it's all about, here's something super important to get. That the gospel, you may have heard that word before, it literally means good news. That's what gospel means. It literally means good news. So what Paul is here saying is, I want to tell you the gospel. I want to tell you the good news. The Christian message is not this. You go and become religious and start doing religious activities, and then you make yourself acceptable to God. That is not the Christian message. The Christian message is not, go live a moral life. Go be a moral person so that you are good enough by your righteous actions that God accepts you. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is news. It's not, you go do something. It's news of what he did. It's not, you do, it's, he did. That's the Christian message, is the gospel. What did he do? What is the good news? Well, first of all, the good news is... I, uh, that Christ, verse 3, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins, and then he was raised. Now, why is this such good news? Well, the Bible teaches that God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. God is completely other than. If you were to see God face to face in all of his blazing, holy glory, you'd be disintegrated. He's absolutely perfect and holy. And not only is he righteous and holy, but he requires humans to be righteous and holy. And guess what? We're not. We're not perfect people by any stretch. We we sin. We're selfish. 
We're proud. We're lustful. We're greedy. Um, we, we indulge in all kinds of ways to please ourselves. We prefer ourselves over others. He tells us to love God with everything you have. I don't love God with everything I have frequently. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't love my neighbor as myself frequently. I love myself as myself. And you're blocking me in traffic, and so I'm going to get around you. I don't love my neighbor as myself. All that frequently, I don't. And so because of our sins, the Bible says that we deserve judgment, that we should stand before God as guilty people, and we should be condemned because we have not been holy. But... God sends Jesus, who's perfectly God, perfectly man, and Jesus dies for our sins. What does that mean? He's a substitute. He takes our place. He dies because of our sins. And the judgment that we should receive, the condemnation we should receive, the penalty that is due us, Jesus takes that. That's why this is good news. Christianity is not, you go be good. Christianity is, you can't be good enough to be perfect. So Jesus is good enough, and Jesus died because you were bad. That's the message. He dies for us, for our sins, so that any of us who believe in him, our sins are forgiven because he paid for them rather than us paying for them. Now, where's the victory over sin and the resurrection and all that? Well, it says that he is then resurrected. Now, in verse 17... Going down, Paul begins to say to the Corinthians, because they have questions about the resurrection, he starts talking to them and says, well, what if Jesus wasn't resurrected? I mean, what if there's no Easter lilies and no Easter Sunday? And what if Jesus was never resurrected? What if he just died but was never resurrected? Here's what would be the case. Verse 17 of 15. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That's 16. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If he's not raised, then everybody who believed, you're still guilty for your sins, and you'll still pay for your sins. You're still in them. And those Christians have already died, they're condemned. They perish because they had no way to cover their sins. But if he's raised, and you believe, you're not in your sins because he took your sins. His resurrection is an announcement that the, the cross, that it was effective, that the Father accepts the sacrifice of the Son for our sins. If I could just be the most pragmatic, uh, pragmatically stated as possible, it would be this. The cross worked. What was supposed to happen, happened, and Jesus' resurrection announces that it, that it counts, that it works, that if we believe we're not in our sins, if we believe it's not futile, but we have new life in him. So the resurrection demonstrates victory over sin, that Jesus defeated the power of sin. The debt that we owed has been paid, has been paid. You like to go to dinner and someone says, I'll get the check and they cover it. This is what has happened eternally. The debt is, we couldn't pay it. But it's paid, and the announcement that it's paid is that Jesus gets up out of the grave, that the tomb is empty. That's why the chapter ends, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, the resurrection means the penalty for your sins is gone. The, the most terrifying event imaginable is to stand before God in judgment as a sinful person, and try to give an account for one's sin, because we cannot. And you will never 
face that predicament because he died for your sins and he's been raised to defeat your sins, announcing that the, that the atonement took, that your sins are actually forgiven. Our great enemy is sin, and Jesus crushes it by taking our sins upon himself and then getting out of the grave to give us new life, eternal life. Glorious good news today. Glorious good news. So victory over sin. Number two, there's, when he says thanks be to God because of the victory in Jesus, there's victory over death. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For if by a man, now here he's speaking about Adam, if by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, that's the second coming of Jesus, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his foot. Okay, so here's what it's saying now. He's saying that in Adam we all die, but in Christ we can live. So what does that mean? Well, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And this world is not the way it's supposed to be. This world is not the way it was created to be. The world was created perfect. No hatred, no self-righteousness, no judgment, no abuse, no stealing, no gossip about people, no greed, no death, no sickness, no pain. You fill it in. There was none of that. The, 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 the earth was created perfectly for Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and put their, themselves in the place of God and say, we know best, we're going to rule, not you, God, basically is what happened. And they sinned. And they brought sin and then death into the world. There was no death before them. They brought sin and death into the world. And so now the Bible uses this language, we're all in Adam. What it means is that's like our family tree. We inherited that. And so we inherited sin and we inherited death. Everybody dies. Everybody dies, and that's sort of proof. And so death is, know this, death is an intruder into God's perfect world. Death was not welcomed. Death was an intruder into the perfect world that God brought. And death is our greatest enemy. We will all face death. We will all face death. I mean, I love you, and that's why I'm telling you that on Easter, okay? We will all face death. Now, if you were in the Easter service at this church, second service last year, you will never forget that Easter service. And that's because I said this, something like this. You know, I just was reading a similar chapter, and it talked about death. And I just said, you will die. Like my long, bony finger, preacher finger, was out like that. Well, I don't usually do that, but it wasn't quite like, but you you get the point. You will die. I said something like that. And then in just a few moments, not that second, it wasn't that dramatic, but within a few seconds, a gentleman sitting right over here, slumped over and passed out. And then fell to the ground or they helped him to the ground. And everybody went and rushed. Were some of you guys here, you remember that last year? Everyone rushed over there. It was the scariest thing in the world. And, uh, and his, his, arm, his arm pain, and he has chest pain, and he's short of breath. And when I got down there, um, <clears throat> this is the middle of the sermon. When I got down there, he is looking up into the sky, up at the ceiling, and he's saying, Jesus, 
Now, I think he's maybe, is he seeing Jesus and is he dying right now? I, I, we don't know. Somebody says, call 911. So we just dismissed everybody. That, that we ended with, that's how we ended we, the service. Uh, a little bit startling, I'd say. And so the paramedics come, they take him out. And everyone assumes he's having a heart attack. So they care for him, they take him out. And some of us, we went and we followed the ambulance, went to the hospital, <clears throat> got to the hospital, <clears throat> and he is awake and in good spirits, because I walk in and he says, wow, I really didn't want to be a sermon illustration. I like, he said, you were saying you're going to die. You know, I know we're supposed to be like a hearer and a doer of the word, but like, that's not the application I was hoping to bring. You're going to die. Well, someone's going to demonstrate for us all. I didn't want to be that guy, he basically said. And here he is being used in a sermon illustration. He's moved. They moved to another part of the country, so he's not here anymore. But if you're listening, Jamie, you did make the sermon illustration the next year uh, when we brought you up again. But it was the most vivid reminder. I cannot show you a picture. I cannot yell at you enough. You will die. I cannot shake you until someone falls over and we all assume he's having a heart attack. And then it's like, wow, life is short, man. Life is short. And in our culture, we ignore death. We don't want to talk about death. I've made this point before. You can't even take me to a cemetery in Frisco. I guess people die in Frisco, but I have no idea where their remains are. Because we have that tucked away somewhere. I don't know. We hide it. We try to reverse death. We try to convince ourselves death's not coming for me. I've been traveling a lot recently during the week, not on Sundays, but during the week. And in the airplane magazines, I read those sometimes, and the, the, the Sky Mall thing, and there is this one ad of, I don't even know what the product is, but I'm going to describe to you the ad. I don't even know what the product is. But it is the most amazing ad. It, here's the ad. It's a guy with a face. I ballpark him 70, maybe plus, maybe 75. And then I was going to show you a picture, but this would be kind of, kind of not really a great Easter. Not, well, you'll see why I didn't bring the picture. Then he doesn't have a shirt on. He's 70, 75. And he's got jeans. And like he's leaning up on a motorcycle, I think, or something like that. So he's got this face you look at. Okay, that's like my grandpa or maybe my great-grandpa. And then he's got washboard abs in this picture. He's got pecs of steel. His guns are loaded. He is this like bodybuilder guy. I mean, it looks like a Photoshop but it's this body, he looks like a 20-year-old competitive bodybuilder out at a day on the beach. The dude's like 75, and he's, he's leaned up against a motorcycle, and it's selling some product. And I look at that ad, and I go, wow, if that's even true, I find it hard to believe, but even if it's true, you may, got, you may get the body of a 20-year-old, but you didn't take 50 years off your life. You're still 70, sir. You're still 70. And you're not 50 years removed from an average lifespan, it's coming. It's coming, and we're all different ages, but this guy doesn't have as long as you if you're a teenager. This, death is coming for this guy. And by the way, if you're 70 or 75 and you got a little bit more, I am not depriving myself to look like that. Bring on the little Debbie snacks. I don't have long. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to live like that at 70 or 75. I want to enjoy myself and then go see the Lord in this resurrection stuff. So anyway, he's depriving himself, taking hor- uh, t- testosterone. I don't know what he's doing. But it's this picture of, hey, you're getting old, but you don't have to believe it. You're approaching death, but we can get you like a teenager again. We can get back your strength, your libido, your looks, your energy, everything. We can get it back so you're just like a young person again and avoid the reality that you're going to die and it's coming soon, sir. 
And, and like, like the fellow in the, in the ad last week, you, I mean, in the, in the service last year, like that guy, it may not be when we're 70 or 75, it may be any moment. Death is coming for all of us, and we try to hide, we try to put it away, we try to ignore it. But the Bible teaches that we're in Adam, and by nature, we will die. Now, the passage also says that as in one man death came, also by a man has come the resurrection of the dead, for in Christ all shall be made alive. So the passage says also, you may physically die, but in Christ you will not perish. If you are a believer in Christ, you will be made alive, because Jesus has defeated the power of death. Those who die in Adam, that means they don't believe in Jesus, they will be come to life. After their death, they will stand before God and give an account for their life and be condemned for their sins. Those who are in Christ will stand before judgment and will have Jesus announce that he forgave them of the sins that they believed and trusted in him. That is the good news. And so though we face physical death, we will not face spiritual death if we are in Christ. When we expire, which literally means, well, it kind of sounds like you've got a shelf life. Well, I guess we all do have a shelf life. But when you expire, expire literally means breathe out. That's what the word means. When we breathe out our last, as a believer, you go into the presence of the Lord. And you're in his presence, the Bible teaches. And then one day, which we'll look at in a second, he will return and he will resurrect all believers and give us a new body, which will be better than the uh, airline magazine ad, a new eternal spiritual body. That's what he will give us. And so that's coming for all who believe in Christ. So he has defeated death. Death is our greatest enemy. You cannot stave it off. You cannot keep it away. Our days are numbered. And he has defeated that so that we face death uh, not as, as those, um, those who are fearful ultimately as believers, but those who are confident that we will be with him. But death is coming. He has, however, conquered death. And that's what it says here. We will be made alive. And he will deliver everything to his father. He will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. And death is the great enemy. Death is the great intruder into the paradise garden that Adam and Eve lived, and Jesus will have death under his foot, and all those in him and with him will have death under our feet and will live forever with him. That's why the resurrection is really big, because it's victory over sin, it's victory over death, and here's the last point. We'll wrap up with this one. It's victory over all. It's victory over all. Look at the end of the chapter, verses 51 through 57. Uh, We quoted some of this this morning. This is what it says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying. So he's saying once our dead bodies decayed, you know, bodies uh, are raised to new life and we're given spiritual bodies like Christ's. Once that happens, then he says, this, this will come to pass. Verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? 
Death is swallowed up in victory. So there is the return of Christ, this great victory for all who are in Christ to experience the victory. That, and here's the victory. It's not just that I personally have my sins forgiven and I'm personally with Christ. That's wonderful. You personally have your sins forgiven. You personally are with Christ. Wonderful. But it's much greater than that. It's when Jesus comes back, he will swallow all death up into victory, that everything will be reversed, that all that happened in the fall, death, sorrow, suffering, pain, all of that will be reversed, that all that the evil, the suffering, the tears, all that is in our world, turn on Fox News, CNN, wherever you get your news, turn it on and and just look at the reports. We live in a broken world where people are at war and people are hated and people are judged where there is cruelty and self-interest, self-interest run amok, self-interest which takes advantage of others. That's the world we live in that's broken. But it's coming a day when all of that will be done away with, where death and all of the suffering will be swallowed up in the victory of Christ, and what will rule and reign is Jesus and his victory. That's what's coming. That, that the, the, it, it's a cosmic victory. So if you become a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you become a Christian today, this is a victory for you, for eternity, a victory for Christ because his work affected your life, a victory for all of us because we'd celebrate and say, this is great, we'd cheer with you and celebrate. But this victory is not individual. This is, we could say, cosmic victory, universal victory, the entire universe restored to the way it's supposed to be with no more pain, suffering, sorrow. And those who oppose Christ and don't believe those condemned for an eternity apart from him. That's, that's the, the grievous news that the Bible teaches us. Now, here's what happens. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says this, O death, where is your victory? He's speaking, this is a phrase from the Old Testament, speaking to death. Here's what this is. This is actually a taunt. Now, we don't have any way to think. When we think about taunt, taunting, what we think, or I don't know about you, but I think about like a guy who scores a touchdown and they do that. I'm not going to do it because it would ruin your Easter. But uh, does one of those touchdown dances. I'm really tempted, but uh, it'd be, it's, there's children in the room. They'd be scarred for life. So, uh, but they do those touchdown dances. And sometimes, you know, kind of take the ball and, you know, kind of mock the other guy a little bit, like in your face kind of a thing. When we think of taunting, we can only imagine sinful, arrogant taunting. This is holy, righteous, perfect taunting against evil. Death, where is your victory? That's what it's saying. Death, what do you got? What do you got, death? Good Friday, you thought you won. You thought you killed God on Good Friday. But three days later, he came back to life. And you thought you killed the human race. And all the people that followed him, they all died. But where's your victory? Because now they've all been raised. And they have spiritual bodies for eternity. They are with their Savior. So death, where's your victory? Show me your spoils. Where's your trophy? All of God's people have been raised. We are his treasure. We are his possession. We are the fruit of his love uh, shed abroad in the cross as he died for us and in the resurrection as he raised to victory. So death, where is your victory? I don't see it. It's kind of a taunt. And then it says, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, you hurt us. Like many deaths, there's some deaths that perhaps aren't painful. Maybe you die suddenly, painlessly. But death is often painful. Sometimes it can be, you know, with a terminal illness, it can be very difficult. 
So death brings tremendous suffering. And even in a painless death for a person, for all those around them, it's tremendously painful. The greatest emotional grief imaginable is to have someone you dearly love die. There's no ache in the soul. If you've had someone die, I've been, to this date, I've gotten this old without having a lot of people that I'm really close to die. I have lost my mom. That's obviously the closest. But if you've had someone close to you die, you know the ache and the pain and the anger and the emptiness and all that can happen. That's the sting of death. That was never supposed to be in the universe, but it came through sin. And there's that sting, the sting when you physically die, the sting of loss and grief. Okay, when Jesus comes back and we're all raised, it's then death. Where's your sting? We don't feel a thing. You have no power. You've been defanged. You've been crushed. You have nothing to harm us with. We, had, we know nothing but life now. There, we know nothing but life. Why? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. There is no sin. It's been defeated. We're raised to pure righteousness and holiness and glory in Jesus. And so where the sin brought death and and the pain of death, it's all gone. And so Jesus comes with victory over all. And that's why the next verse after that, death, where's your sting? Uh, The next verse is, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole chapter is about the resurrection. And then we return. The resurrection is about victory. It is victory over our sin because Jesus died in our place and rose announcing that the the atonement took place at his death for all who will believe. It's victory over death because he's coming back. He's going to raise us and there will be no sin, no sorrow, no death. Actually, there's a beautiful picture at the end of the Bible in Revelation. It says God will wipe every tear from his people's eyes. It's a tender, beautiful picture of his care, that he will wipe our sorrows away for eternity. And ultimately, it's victory over all. You know, what's the world coming to? It's coming to the rule and reign absolutely of Jesus over all. That's what it's coming to. And that's what the Bible shares with us. So it's a day of victory. It's a day to eat, day to celebrate, day to do an egg hunt with the kids, day to all that. It's It's all that. But it's ultimately a day to announce, Jesus, you are the victor eternally. And thank you that you win and we get the prize. He had to endure the cross so that we never would. You win, we get the spoils. We are the spoils. You won us. You, you suffer, you have the victory, and we enjoy your reign. All free. We didn't go earn it and deserve it. We just received it as a gift through faith. Turning from our sin and turning to believe in you. So two groups of people, I want to say something too briefly and we're done. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, uh, I, I don't mean you don't know about him, but I mean you've never come to the place where you committed your life to him. Where you say, I believe that you didn't just die generically for sinners. I believe you died for my sin. And I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. If you've never done that, I urge you, I urge you to do that. Why? Because... That's what you were created for, to know Jesus. That's what you were created for. God has something so wonderful for you. I'm not here to sell you some cheap thing that if you believe in Jesus, your life will be perfect. That is not what the Bible teaches. It does not say that once you become a Christian, you get rich, you get healthy, every day is great. I cannot promise that at all. But I can say this, if you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God will come to live within you 
He will forgive all your sins. He will give you a peace in your life and a, and a reason to live. And he will ultimately give you an assurance that one day you will be with him forever, as we read in this text. He'll clean your conscience. He'll, clean, he'll clear your conscience. What, what greater gift is there to be able to put your head on the pillow knowing, I'm forgiven and I'm right with God, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. And I urge you, I urge you because it's, well, I urge you because it's urgent. None of us are given, the illustration I shared with you demonstrated that starkly last year. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. And so while you are alive and have the chance and are thinking about it on Easter, I urge you to turn to Jesus and believe. Here's what John, uh, Jesus said in the book of John. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there's two kinds of folks. There's condemned and not condemned. We're all condemned by our actions. I am. I'm condemned by my actions. But if we believe in Christ, then we're not condemned. Those who don't believe are condemned already and headed towards judgment. That's what the Bible says. I only say that not to startle you. I say that because I love you and because that's what Jesus says. And, that, and the good news is you don't have to be. You can have your sins forgiven. You don't have to be condemned. Here's how you do that. Is there something, okay, do I got to start coming to church? We'd love to have you come to church, but that's not what it's about. That's not how you become a Christian. You recognize your sin. You recognize the need for a Savior. You, in your heart, you turn away from your sin. You turn to Jesus, and you say, would you please forgive me? I want new life. I want forgiveness. I want you to rule and reign in my life. I want to submit my life to you, and I want to receive this wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life. You can just communicate that to him. And if you do that today, you know, that's wonderful. Maybe you could tell the person that brought you, tell one of us as a leader, we can help you start, get started on your Christian life. Um, if you're a young person, tell your parents. So maybe today would be a day for someone to become a Christian. Secondly, would be the group of people who already are Christians. And it's interesting, the next, the last verse, I, I read you the next to last verse. Here's the last verse. After a whole chapter on the resurrection, here's the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's where he ends. He says, look, there's coming a day it's not going to be like this. There's coming a day when your wildest imaginations about what perfection would be, it'll be far greater than you could ask, think, or imagine, the Bible says. There's coming a day when you're going to meet your Savior face to face. There's coming a day when no one will sin against you and when you will sin against no one. There's coming a day where you have no aches and pains and sorrows. There's coming a day when your heart won't ache, when you won't know loneliness, emptiness, depression. There's coming a day when none of that will be the case. There's coming a day when you will be with your Savior and enjoying his total victory forever. And because of that, be steadfast be immovable. Keep pressing on. It's worth it. That's what he's saying. It's worth it. There's coming a day. It won't be like this. So make every day count now, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's worth it to love others. It's worth it to serve others. It's worth it to care and share the love of Christ with others. Cause there's coming a day when you will be with him forever. And, it, and you'll, you'll see the purpose for which you were created. It's worth it. It's worth it to tell others who need to know Jesus, who don't know Jesus, always abounding. Your labor is not in vain. What does that mean? It's not a waste. You're not working for a wasteful cause. 
You're investing your life and your heart and your actions in what matters for eternity. It matters. It matters. And so he's encouraging them and saying, don't give up. Keep running the race. If we could go back to our early pictures. Not because you'll be at the finish line. Yeah! But because he's at the finish line and he already conquered. And because he's there, it's worth it to press on and run the race. That's how he ends the chapter. So if you don't know him, I urge you, believe, turn and believe today. And if you do know him, press on in confidence, knowing that he holds you and he has you and he'll keep you to you. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.